Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb And welcome to Groundhog Minute, the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day, one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Dave. And I'm your other host, Sean. And with us today, we have a very special guest from the Cabin Minute cast, Molly. Hey. Welcome to the show, Molly. Hey, guys. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on with us. Yeah. So we want to tell you today you're here for minute 25. Sean, give me the summary. All right. So so minute 25 goes by really fast. It starts with uh, we're wrapping up our second run through of Groundhog Day. Phil is testing a theory about what's going on by breaking a pencil wakes up to the pencil reunited and he's freaked out and he just rushes through his morning routine down the hall, through the lobby, out the door. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a worried man. He's a little Mm -hmm. freaked out. I think on this day. All right, Molly, where we were at yesterday is we, we kind of put it together that this is not four in the morning because he just had a call with someone so we think that he left uh, Gobbler's Knob uh, mid-broadcast. He went back to his bed and breakfast room, and essentially this is four in the afternoon, and he's just been calling everyone, trying to get some line out uh, of trying to see if he can get rescued out of town. Because we realized four in the morning no one would answer the phone, and there's no point because it's like the middle of the night. Yeah, well, so, so what do you think about that? Molly, I, I first – when I – first dozen times or whatever I watched this movie, I kind of assumed it was 4 a.m. And like maybe he's trying to stay up all night to see what happens or, or whatever. But I – you know, as, as Dave said, it kind of makes more sense that he's just – he's still freaked out by the deja vu of what's going on, that he's just going right to bed. So is this – is it 4 p.m. or 4 a.m. or what's your take on it? Well, I think that's a really good point. Because when I was reviewing this, I was like, you know, it just seems strange that it'd be four o'clock in the morning, because you're only getting about two hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. So that and he seems fairly refreshed. I mean, he's panicked, which is understandable, given his situation. But I also and and correct me if I'm wrong, did he take some pills of some kind right before he goes? Aspirin. Aspirin. Yeah, I think it's that's what I was like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I thought like maybe he's taking some kind of sleeping kind of pills, or he's like, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm done. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna check out at this point. But yeah, I, I found it interesting that it was four or four. It was really confusing to me, but I, I agree. I think it's four o'clock in the afternoon that he's just, you know, making a, a rash of calls. So yeah. So and another thing is we don't we don't walk through this day the way we did the first Groundhog Day. We don't see them getting in the van and the blizzard and everything else. So that kind of, if this is the late, if it's 4 a.m., that gives us a lot more day that we got to try to imagine what has Phil been up to. But if it's Mm -hmm. 4 p.m., then it's only, then it's only what, about nine hours after the groundhog, less than nine hours after the festival on Gobbler's Knob. And then it kind of, we just fill it in that, yeah, he wasn't feeling well. Drunk is more fun, and and yeah, he just <laughs> he just goes right back to it. It's like one of those things where like you wish you could just go into bed and wake up again and have a redo, and maybe that's what he's trying to do here. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I thought was happening, that he's just, he's freaked out. He doesn't know what's going on. He's in the very early stages of this process yeah. of, you know, this is before he goes to the psychiatrist and, you know, yada, yada, and, and does the the normal kind of physical diagnostics. So we're just on the verge of that. So it makes sense to me that he's like, okay, we're just going to take a beat and we're just going to have nappy time. We're just going <laughs> to unplug yeah. and we're going to just pretend that none of this is really happening. Yeah, other than the funny deleted scene I wrote the other day about uh, a what if like Rita and Larry visited him in his bedroom in the middle of the afternoon, <laughs> because in their minds, they still think he wants to leave town. Mm-hmm. But in my deleted scene that I wrote, he's trying to argue that he'd rather just sleep all day. And so they're like, okay. So it's a really good deleted scene. You When it's on the fictional Blu-ray, you'll love it. Okay. <laughs> uh long story short but yeah i like his like little, now he's applying the scientific method of the pencil yeah mm-hmm. well i like i like the look he gives as he's breaking the pencil like i know he kind of looks around almost like he's wondering if anybody's watching and then it's a little bit of oh i i got you i figured this out you know mm-hmm. i'll show you kind of thing he's got a very determined look well at least while he's breaking it and then, mm-hmm. but then when he, when he's, when he's placing the pencil down on the, the table and the clock, there's like, there's some doubt creeps in. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I want, want to know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's really intelligent. The pencil break is, is totally genius. It's, it's very small, it's subtle, and, and it's a nice, you know, physical ramp up. You know, we're starting small before he just goes like full tilt in the next, you know, 20 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So I like it. It's a it's a very elegant and, and thoughtful way of of confirming reality. Yeah. His eyes look like they're recording everything. He's recording the mm-hmm. room. He's getting that mental image, the pencil. When I wake up, I must look at the pencil. I must find the pencil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He separates the parts. It's on top of the clock. It's underneath. Okay. I physically did that. Cool. Like- and then it's 6 a.m. again. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, Dave. no. I just said that, that, that little – I love the music in this minute. There's little two like little hints we get where it's this like almost mystery Christmas carol music that's playing. Right? Totally. He's breaking the pencil. It's a little, little spooky. A little spooky. I like that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like this movie is kind of a companion piece to Scrooged. Oh, say, see, Sean? People yeah. are going to bring that comparison yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scrooge. I have a feeling that's gonna. It's not the first. It's not the first time. Oh, I know it's not the first time, but I have a mm-hmm. feeling it's not the last time that'll that'll come up. That's yeah. interesting. I had I had a, a, a couple notes about the music for this minute, and actually just all all for the next day after he wakes up. But that that's kind of an interesting kind of starting point. The the there's a little whimsy, like yeah, like Christmas magic type mm. music. The night before that kind of and we had that um, in minute 16 when they're in the van and they're trying to get out of town and, and the, like the officers there going, oh, you know, the roads closed. There's a blizzard and there's kind of a whimsical, magical mm. music going on to maybe hint there's this isn't an ordinary blizzard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's but it's it's still light. Whereas once he gets out of bed, I mean, of course, we start with. Sunny and Cher and, and I got you, babe. But that, which you know, a lovely song that I'm I'm sure we're all going to be sick of by the time this is over, if we're not already. But uh, 
as soon as that fades out, the score changes. It's not, you know, it's it's not the the lighthearted kind of circus romp that we opened with on the opening credits. It's not the Pennsylvania polka. It's it's not the whimsy kind of magic. It's it's a darker, mm-hmm. a darker magic and a darker thing that I think is, you know, it's kind of telling us, you know, one Phil Phil's mood and his emotions are starting to go, you know, if it was, well, if it was starting yesterday, then, well, today, I guess when it, if it was starting today, then today it's going to be even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I had a note about the, the, the music getting dark. Yeah. A little high pitch thing right before signing chair. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of the choice of, of I got you, babe? <sighs> we know, you know, we never actually talked about how, that song really sits with the uh, the movie. I think is no. What no? What, what would you? Did you read something earlier, Sean, about how? Yeah, I I, I like it. Yeah, D- Danny Rubin. He has a. He actually wrote a book, and it's it's sort of it's just an annotated screenplay. It's his first version of the screenplay, and then it's some notes and footnotes and stuff on different things. And. I I like it. I buy into it. He says, well, there's there's two things. There's two reasons. And this was one of those things from day one. This was the song that was going to be waking Phil up. Hmm. And he says two things. One, you know, it, it's a catchy tune. It's a song. It's a, it was a popular song, but it's the kind of song that can get annoying if you hear it too many times. <laughs> and I, I kind of agree with that. But then he also points out, and this is – you know, just the genius of, of things coming together, that it's got that point towards the end of the song where you think it's going to end. It's kind of sunny and chair together, you know, in unison with, a, with like a slow, I got you, babe. And and you, like normally that kind of thing, that would be the end of the song. And it kind of does it, it. There's a there's a pause. There's a rest to beat. And then it picks up again. And then it's just, you know, it's them over. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. And he thought that was, you know, like a good symbol for what is happening in the movie. That like you think it's over, but no, it keeps going. Mm. So so I think it's a really good choice. Now, obviously, we don't hear that part of the song. We kind of hear just we hear the same part over and over again. We don't hear that bit towards the end where that kind of false ending. But knowing that's there and knowing kind of the, the thinking behind it. I hadn't really thought about it as much. Unfortunately, I don't, I can't think back to what did I think about it before I read what, what Ruben wrote about it. Cause I didn't really mm-hmm. think about it that much, but I think his, his logic, his reasoning kind of fits in really well. And I, I like it. I think it's a good choice and I agree. It's, it's a good song. It's a catchy tune. And it's the kind of thing that, that you can get tired of if you, if you hear it too many times. <laughs> I mean, what, so what, what do you think, Molly? You know, I felt like when I mean, I've seen the movie a few times, like I saw it in the theater when it first came out and and really mm-hmm. dug it. But I, I kept thinking over the years that there was some sort of deeper meaning to it, but I couldn't really detect anything in and of itself within in the lyrics. And and when I was reviewing minutes for for coming on today, um, I was thinking about it again. And I was like, you know, the I got you, babe, is this somewhat I was perceiving it as a somewhat taunting ensnaring of him in this. And I'm not sure what oh, your guys' okay. metaphysical views on this, or you know, to what degree you feel that it's a, a metaphysical 
commentary that's happening for for Phil, but uh, I I kind of saw it as as an annoying, taunting. It's it's uplifting to somebody who's really just going through like a midlife crisis going into this movie, and I could see how that would be the perfect you know, mid ground between heaven and hell for him that he would have this purgatory that he would have to repeat this particular oh. song. Like, so that's how I was. And maybe I'm, I'm, I'd be digging deep here, but yeah, no, no, that's, <laughs> I, I love it. Well, because it's one of those things. I think one of the important things of the movie is to realize the, you know, Phil has the worst day of his life and he has the best day of his life. Mm. And it's the same day. It's the same town. The people around him are the same. Everything's the same except him. He's the only one who makes the difference. Is it a good day or a bad day? Hmm. And the song's kind of like that too. It could be now this is Sonny and Cher. They're they're not just at this point, they're not just a performing couple. I think they were married. I know they were married at some point. I think they were already married when the song came out. So they're mm-hmm. it's a loving, it's a romantic, I got you, babe. It's a comforting I got you, babe. But what if the person singing that isn't you know, isn't your romantic partner. Mm-hmm. If you're a captive and your captor, your jailer is saying, I got you, babe. The same line, just, you know, this, yeah, the same line takes on a much different meaning. So yeah. You're proposing that there is a being of a higher power that could even be in the town who is keeping him here trapped in here, but is, uh, but they're, 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 but they're just super nice and they might, they taunt him asking questions of how did he sleep? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Objection uh, leading the way. Or leading the way. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Do you guys think Mrs. Lancaster is like the being, the, the supernatural? <laughs> I am, I am, my chips are in, all in. I, I'm not one. saying she is, but I'm not going to say that she's not. <laughs> but but no that but that's a very that's a very interesting way of looking at the song that I hadn't thought of that it is the the power the being whatever that is that has Phil has picked this song to voice that to say I've got you you're now trapped mm-hmm. you're in my grasp I've got you babe someone mm-hmm. who's someone who is trapped and alone that song can easily you're alone you have no one and this song. Uh, taunt you with it. You, now you're my prisoner. We're uh, not say we're together, but yeah, that we're we're joined. Though you don't might not like it, and you also look at it as you're alone in this. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, that's that's a good. I like that. We kind of like we got a nice little layer to us to the song. Not just like it's annoying, but also it's taunting. Mm-hmm. Totally, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, and that's a really good point because he is alone. You know, he's totally alone in this. There isn't anyone else who can really, I mean, he attempts, he's kind of forced to create connections coming up here. Mm -hmm. I mean, in this particular minute, he's like, no, 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 to everyone he comes across. But it's interesting to me, you know, he comes across Ned and he comes across uh, Mrs. Lancaster and he comes across uh, the the guy who's looking for change. and, And he's just like, no to everybody, but he makes a beeline for Rita here which I find to be very interesting. And I'm curious what you guys think about that of, of all the, the reaching out that he does. We as an audience only see him reach out to her and she's relatively new to him. So I was curious what you guys thought about that. I, I saw it as, is that even though he gave her 
a lot of a lot of grief on what her on her what her feeling was is yesterday in the van getting up there. I think he does see her as I mean not as like the authority as the producer, but I think he definitely sees her as someone who could give him the ideas that he is definitely running out of. That's how mm. I, I see it as. Um, I do think he, I, he he can't turn to Larry because Larry would just laugh at him. Larry does not. I do think it's a little strange on, on that point. I was just going to talk about Larry that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a history there. He knows Larry. They've, they've been here mm-hmm. before. They've been specifically to the Groundhog Festival in, in Punxsutawney before, but they've worked together before where, yeah, Rita is someone he just met yesterday. And I mean, I realize a long road trip is kind of like a relationship accelerator that they've, they've spent, mm. you know, they spent time together in that van, but this is someone he just met yesterday. Is it, you know, why not? Why not go to Larry? And yeah, they, you know, I, I obviously I, I don't think they have, Phil and Larry don't have heart to heart talks. You know, they're not staying up late, doing each other's nails, talking about boys or whatever. You know, they don't have that kind of relationship, but they do have a relationship. Is it, you know, is it because Rita's the producer that she's kind of, you know, even though in the beginning he doesn't respect it, she is an authority figure. Is it, Mm -hmm. you know, is he more, maybe it's, he's more comfortable confiding, you know, confiding in a woman and being emotionally vulnerable to a woman versus, versus a man. Maybe it's, it's Mm. because they don't know each other. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like the, an anonymous confession that sometimes it's easier Mm. to be more honest with someone that you don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Hmm. Hmm. If he let's see, if he confesses to Ned, it won't mean anything because Ned's just trying to sell him insurance. Right. Because Lancaster really is she's just a she's just a simple lady who runs a runs a bed and breakfast. I mean the the deja vu line didn't really go over you know just on a basic <laughs> level when he brought that up it really didn't hit her you know didn't affect her she mm-hmm. kind of um, uh, diverted but and yeah if he brings it to Larry I think he's kind of I think he's a little. I don't know. Embarrassed that Larry's going to laugh at him and hold it over to hold it over him, mm-hmm. and will like. And if like if him and Larry, if Larry did help him get out of this time warp, like that Larry would would like kind of uh, I don't know, see him as an idiot or something. <laughs> I, either that, or he just knows that he burned so many bridges with Larry that it would it would take him so long to try and. Like so many days to try and get to Larry mm. for Larry. Like you have to try different attempts. It would, he'd probably be spending half the day just getting Larry to believe him where it looks like, you know, Rita actually does pause and think. Whereas Larry is like, look, I'm here to record, you know, I'm here to record the groundhog, you know, like he, when they did that yesterday, you know, Rita actually was asking questions and stuff and really, was probably if Larry didn't interrupt him and say, yo, the groundhog, they're starting to do it. We got to film now. If he didn't interrupt him, she probably would have spent a few more minutes asking Phil questions. Okay. You're not drunk. Uh, did you do this? Did you take drugs? You know? Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I like that. And, and part of it is, yeah. Cause Larry is gonna, Larry's going to be guarded. I think if he tried, you know, Larry's going to be like, all right, what's, what's the joke. Yeah. yeah it's going to take time for him to realize, Oh, Phil for once, in, in his life, he's actually being serious that, yeah, I don't see Larry kind of flipping that switch between 
being skeptical to kind of really listening mm-hmm. the way we see Rita does. So that's, yeah. So, she, and she does show that um, while she is, you know, she does try to keep things business-like. She does try to get, you know, get the, uh, get the take on the ceremony, get the, uh, the, the video done. But yeah, she, she does show that she's willing to listen and, and has some openness. And even though, I mean, she's pegged, Phil isn't really too, too hard to peg. He wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> when they first met. So she does know like, okay, you know, what's the deal? What's the joke? What's going on? Mm. But she does turn pretty quickly to, okay, to understand that, oh, this isn't one of Phil's jokes. This isn't a put on. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause he does turn serious and kind of, yeah, he's, he's very terse, very tense and, and he's not, yeah. And he, and he bolts too, which they just sort of allow him to do, which is kind of interesting yeah. to me. Yeah, and I want to put a pin in this. So I want to talk about more of that the, uh, Rita and him tomorrow. Okay, I want to put a pin in this because all right, we got we have to we have another thirty seconds here of Phil panicking as he waking up, <laughs> and you yeah. I like watching his eyes. His eyes are doing that. Like okay, I, I, the room, uh, the room is a different. Uh, I'm hearing the song. I don't like that. And so he's like his eyes are scanning like the bedroom. He's scanning is where his coat was, and he knows it's all. It's all where it was earlier. Um, it's not where he probably left it, what he believed was last night. Yeah, yeah. It's all back where he was. And more more great acting from Bill Murray here. I mean, he looks really just terrified, mm-hmm. disheveled, uncertain. He looks at the pencil. He gazes around the room. He swallows a couple times. And he's just very his face is very still like he's frozen with with fright i guess yeah mm-hmm. i think for for a moment he thinks maybe someone snuck in and changed and put the pencil but i think he you know it's 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 a, it's like it's like he's thought it and it's immediately gone because he knows no like i have repeated yeah like they can't mm. do the radio put my clothes exactly where i left them and the pencil like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then he just he books through this house. Yeah, he runs past the gentleman in the hall. He runs right through the lobby. Does not engage Mrs. Lancaster at all. Yeah, see now the scarf is on, but in no he didn't do he didn't tuck it. He didn't roll it. Mm-hmm. It's just on him in a minimalistic fashion. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and and, and Ramis talks about this a little bit in in the director's commentary on the Blu-ray. And he he talks about this is kind of a shorthand to begin the day, this run through the bed and breakfast, because we know and Phil knows exactly what, you know, what all these characters would have said if he had stopped to listen. But right. Oh, oh, uh, look right there, Sean, um, 50, 57 seconds at the end. We actually do get to see those double panel doors that we were talked about earlier. Yep. Yes. Which. Yeah, so we see. Yeah, we we were earlier, Molly. We were trying to wonder. There was there, there were some scenes where there's a disconnect, or on uh, well, I guess both days, both of the Groundhog Days we've had so far. There was kind of a disconnect between when he's leaving the lobby and then when he's going outside. But it looks like there's a little. Yeah, there's there's two doors there we can see. So what do you call it? Mudroom, she said. Yeah, it could be a mudroom oh, or a foyer, but uh, uh, I get you. Yeah, because sometimes, yeah, sometimes like he'll 
like well though in this on this day we see him, he's actually putting his gloves on as he's running down the stairs. So I mean he's he doesn't even hit the lobby before the gloves are on. But yeah, there's some days where it's like he leaves the he, you know we we see him in the interior we see him leaving like the gloves are off and then he gets outside and then the gloves are on and we're trying to figure out where that happened. So this yeah this we can see it better than. I think it was minute 18 was the last time we went through this process, but we can see it better here. Those, the two doors between and that space in between the inside and the outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 There's an entryway of some kind there. Yeah. But it, it makes sense. Cause you're going to have people coming in and out of the house. You don't want to lose the heat. So that mm-hmm. yeah. the, the double doors will prevent a lot of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you can't have like you this you're not gonna put like a revolving door in this kind of house. Lancaster <laughs> is not getting the kitchen to put in a door. Oh no. Yeah. I mean that's gotta be I don't know, I would I would estimate like ten thousand dollars and up to uh <laughs> to get something like that put in. Um but yeah, so the, we see there's the yeah, mud room or an entryway, a foyer or something. There's some kind of space in between those two doors. So but in this case he's not he doesn't have the cup of coffee in his hand, he hasn't neatly tied up his scarf it's just loose around his neck and he is yeah it's so what is he what is he running toward i think well i mean let's not get too far into the next minute but i think he knows that nothing nothing in the bed and breakfast is going to help him this is like the Mm -hmm. the moment he realizes mrs lancaster is not going to help me the man in the hallway is not going to help me none of these people in this bed and breakfast are going to help me i i definitely need to get to rita I definitely mm-hmm. need to get into town. And um, it's so funny that he seems to be on the same time schedule we're going to look at, though he is running. He's a running man. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, do we, all right, we don't really see. So at the end of this minute, we just, we're looking at the front of the house. Yeah. And we see him, we see him running towards us. So we don't yet see what is, what does the street look like? What does the scenery look like? Is it going to be exactly the same? As it was mm-hmm. those other days. And I guess we're going to have to wait till the next minute to find out. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. I'm excited to. I'm excited. Yay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, any anything else for minute 25? I appreciate that he got cleaned up. <laughs> minimal. I think it's a minimal. minimal. I mean, no, obviously a shower. But right. I think he, got, he fixed a little bit of his bed head. But, yeah, he probably was like the minimal amount of work in that sink. Just you just need to go. He's got to go. He's got to get out of there. So do you do you do you still brush your teeth when you realize it's just going to be the same day over and over again? Mm. I think the minimal. I think the minimal presentation to Rita. He can't look like a complete lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I, that's why I say like if I'm going to talk to Rita in a pretty close proximity like that. She's probably gonna smell my breath, and <laughs> so I, I want to, you know, maybe he's got a bottle of mouthwash that n- is never ending. So oh, he wow. just, there you go. <laughs> he just takes a bottle of Listerine, and he's just let's go. Like here is a little slight mint fresh to it. Let's go. Yeah, just a little swish. Yeah, I, I, but I, yeah, I agree. I think you you or I would I would still brush in the morning because yeah, you don't want to be stinky breath all day. But then at night before bed, no. I'm not gonna. I'm just, <laughs> oh no! My teeth are gonna be back to where they were in the morning. Yeah. So I'm I'm going right to bed. I'm not I'm not brushing my teeth before before because and I'm sleeping alone. As as Phil pointedly mentioned 
the first night or the first morning to Mrs. Lancaster when she asked, how did he sleep? He slept alone. So it's not like I got to have minty breath for anyone in bed. So, mm-hmm. right, yeah. right. But he um, does- you know, you got to. <laughs> there's, there, I'm just saying that there's, there's some advantages to the Groundhog Day situation. <laughs> it's not all, it's not all downside. It's not all negative. Listen, I'm using half as much toothpaste. I can stay up a little bit later because I'm not going to have to worry about all that before bed. See, that's a really good question, though. So if he were to not get any sleep, does he actually feel sleep deprived the next day? Because it's he's just living it over again. It's like his conscience gets moved, I think is the best way to put it. It's like his body is reset, his room and every, the whole time, the whole day is reset. But his conscience seems to be uh, just it, – it's it is a weird thing to like think of your mind, like your memories are separated from your exhaustion. But does so each day at 6 a.m. the clock goes off and like his Phil's existence is reset to 6 a.m. Groundhog Day Punxsutawney PA. Does it reset the time before that? Because so, you know, let's assume he got a You got a solid eight hours. He got a full night's sleep the evening of February 1 that night. Got to bed early, got the full eight, wakes up at 6 a.m., rested fresh ready for the day now the next time does he does it re does it reset does he get you know does it reset the time before 6 a.m does he still feel like he got the eight hours i it's hard to tell because yeah first time he gets up he doesn't stretch and he seems to be pretty okay and he gets up and he makes fun of the the DJs. And then the second day he gets up, mm-hmm. he seems to get up with not being tired or, 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 and cranky at all from like being on the road twice, going out to the snow, coming back. Mm-hmm. So he seems when he wakes up before he realizes it, he seems to be like, oh, they're playing the same tape, but he seems to be pretty, uh, pretty awake. He doesn't seem groggy. Right. So it's, you know, we, you know, like on this day, we see him scared, scared, but it's, it's psychological. Yeah. He's, he's rested. But yeah. concerned. It's it's not. It's like you yeah. slept eight hours, but then somebody shot a gun next to your ear. That, <laughs> that's, that's the fear he has. That's exactly the fear he has. How he woke up with Sonny and Cher is uh, eight hours. Bang. Huh? Just mm. okay. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so Molly, thank you very much for joining us. If if listeners want to hear more of your insightful commentary. Where can they find you? Well, I am currently co-hosting with Heidi Bennett at Cabin Minute Cast, which is a movies by minute jam. And we are doing The Cabin in the Woods one minute at a time. So you can go to cabinminutecast.com and uh, find all of our, our string of goodness. Yay. And and Heidi was a former co-host of Sean's. So um, if you enjoyed the, the fabulous uh, Spinal Tap Minute, then um, there's some delightful continuity between this and that. Yeah. So our, our, our previous guest, Heidi, had joined us, uh, I think, last week. And yeah, we did. Uh, we spent uh, the movie Spinal Tap together one minute at a time. So uh, yeah, if, if folks, if you haven't checked it out yet, um, Listen to this, but then when you're done listening to this, listen to Cabin Minute Cast. And when you're done listening to that, then and you've got some spare time, then you can go back and yeah, listen to the the, the Spinal Tap Minute with with Heidi. That was great. We had a lot of fun. And and so Molly, can you can you come back and join us tomorrow? 
Absolutely. <laughs> if there is one. So, yeah. So we, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Molly, you come back, Dave. Well, Dave, you have to come back. You, uh, <laughs> you're obligated. You're, you're like that man in the hallway that I'm running past. I'm just going to see him every day for, for, oh, for, no. for, for, for the rest of this movie, whichever comes first. But yeah. And then listeners, you as well, please come back tomorrow. So that is it for us. Thank you for listening, and we will see you tomorrow if there is one. I got an idea. Okay, I'm just going to put the pencil like this on the desk, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. Don't let them say your hair's too long.